I'm Chris Sims, and this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. On this episode, we have a special interview for you, and we're going to focus on government accountability, specifically First Nations government accountability. Our guest is Rob Louie, and is he ever a fighter? He is starting his own organization that fights for accountability and transparency and provides legal advice to folks who want the same thing at their local First Nation government levels. So why is Rob doing this? Well, it kind of runs in his family. You see, a few years back, his uncle, now departed, Wayne Louie, wanted some financial accountability from his local band office. That's in the Lower Kootenai Band area around the town of Creston, British Columbia. Turns out, chief and council weren't so forthcoming with their information. So they actually had to go to court. This is where it gets super interesting because it quickly turned into somewhat of a David and Goliath battle. You see, while apparently chief and council were taking expensive flights to Vancouver for their court date, Uncle Wayne jumped on the bus and packed himself a lunch. The good part is that Uncle Wayne won. He eventually did get the financial accountability and the documents that he was looking for. So fast forward a few years until now. Why is his nephew, Rob Louie, picking up this fight? Well, it comes down to fairness and accountability. You see, for folks who don't live within First Nations government areas, if you have trouble with your local government, you can raise hell in a good way. You can file freedom of information requests. You can call the media. You can demand accountability from your local town hall. Well, unfortunately, in some very rare instances, at local First Nations levels, whistleblowers don't get treated so well. In fact, sometimes when people start asking uncomfortable questions about where money is going, they get punished. We here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we've gotten phone calls from whistleblowing folks on First Nations governed land who say things like, I tried speaking up and I tried asking questions and now I don't have any firewood for the winter. What am I going to do? Or I've been evicted because I was asking questions of my local government. That's not right and that's not fair and that's not accountable. So why is Rob Louie picking up this fight? Let's find out. Uh, so prior to the Band Members Alliance and Advocacy Association of Canada, or BMAC for short, uh, the late Wayne Louie from the Lower Kootenai Band uh, was a former chief in the 1990s of Lower Kootenai. And he held a position in the community as a leader. So as he would say, uh, you don't need to be elected to be a leader. And he certainly demonstrated that by his actions and his words. So uh, Wayne Louis had a, uh, his claim to fame was the uh, Louis versus Louis court case. Uh, Louis versus Louis is a BC Court of Appeal case in 2015. And uh, as you may know, uh, the Court of Appeal is actually uh, higher than the Supreme Court in terms of authority. So this is uh, BC's top court that uh, rendered a decision in uh, June 3rd, 2015 on a matter involving uh, band money, band counselors, and band members all in the mix. Uh, Wayne Louis uh, was the plaintiff uh, and went on to be the appellant in the Louis versus Louis court case. 
Now, can you tell us a little bit about the details of that case? I remember you telling me a really poignant story. Uh, it really sounded like David and Goliath kind of a situation where your uncle was asking for accountability and transparency from uh, the First Nations band government, and that he took the bus uh, all the way out to Vancouver, packed himself a ham sandwich, whereas band leadership were apparently taking uh, the more expensive route there. Can you describe that to us a little bit? Yes, uh, that was uh, definitely a classic David and Goliath situation. Uh, what is uh, leaves uh, what left a lot of people to wonder is how did uh, you know a fellow you know nearing his elderly years, that being Wayne Louis, uh, who lived on uh, uh, trapping money, uh, really with no income, uh, able to get to the BC's highest court and win. Uh, with, a, with a legal firm uh, backing him. And here's uh, some of the details that uh, Wayne Louis was a, a spiritual man and uh, he did practice our spiritual ways, that being the sweat lodge, the smudge. And he used it not to, uh, as a battle against chief and council, rather this was uh, for the common good. Uh, his, his medicine was good. His uh, energy was proper and positive. And this was really about stopping uh, the, the damage that was going on at Lower Kootenai. And uh, we feel that, um, we, didn't have, we don't have any evidence of this, but we feel that this Louis versus Louis is really just the tip of the iceberg. And really, we just want to set a precedent that chief and council do not have the authority to unilaterally award themselves a bonus out of bad money. And if we didn't do this, a precedent would have been set the other way. That would have been okay for chief and council to continue to award themselves bonuses to the exclusion of the members. So uh, Wayne Louis um, had me in his corner. I'm uh, a UBC law graduate. Um, I used to work at a criminal defense firm and I'm actually quite open about my, my past substance abuse issues that I have uh, since rectified. I'm a proud member of the recovery community. And Good for you, uh, these, man. these days I give back uh, to the recovery community and uh, to the legal community in a way where I'm helping some Aboriginal uh, law students uh, whose names remain confidential, but uh, that are you know, struggling with substance abuse. That kind of help wasn't around back when I was in law school. So uh, I, I helped uh, basically uh, quarterback the, uh, the trial the, the preparation for it. And I called on a few legal peers and uh, Mary McCulley is a lawyer in Vancouver, uh, a very renowned lawyer uh, who, uh, when she looked at the facts of this, she said, uh, you know, this isn't a case where, uh, this isn't about me making a profit. Uh, this is rather just about doing the right thing. And this is a case that calls out for some justice. And she saw the merit in this case and there was a prima facie breach of fiduciary duty. And she said, it'll be interesting to see how they're going to justify uh, awarding themselves this money. And uh, so Mary McCauley uh, became counsel of record and we were off to the trial. Uh, the band council immediately used band funds, uh, band resources, band staff uh, to defend themselves. And the band council was the, the defendant. Now we had a few pedestrians uh, that were also defense because they were on the band council back in 2009 when this uh, 
happened. I don't have to say it allegedly happened. It's been proven that, that the transaction uh, where they awarded themselves money happened. So um, the other part of it is uh, like any community, uh, a smaller community like ours, you know, family is involved. Um, this wasn't a key. I mean, we didn't wake up every day thinking like, hooray, we get to uh, go head to head with <laughs> our immediate family. Um, but this was more about Again, just setting the precedent, setting the tone that this is not, this is not right. This is not legally right. This is not morally right. So uh, we, we went to trial, uh, and wouldn't you know it, we lost. And that's what some people will actually forget that we actually lost the trial. And I remember hearing some band members cry on the phone. It was heartbreaking. Uh, the decision was a real head scratcher. Uh, because the judge ruled that basically the bank council has the authority to do this. Like it does almost like given the bank council sovereignty over bad money, they can do what they want. Um, and Mary and I, uh, after we reviewed the decision, both agreed that this needs to be appealed. And again, it wasn't about, uh, you know, what she wasn't saying, okay, now you have to, you know, pay $10,000, $50,000 before we appeal. She was already preparing the appeal. And she said, well, we'll worry about the money later. <clears throat> uh, we did win on the court of appeal. It was a unanimous decision. All three judges agreed with us that the band council did not have the authority to take that money in the first place. Uh, when it came to cost, the, uh, there was some negotiation. Uh, they started at one end, we started the other. We met in the middle ground. Um, it is uh, public record that uh, it was uh, 15,000. Uh, court costs, which uh, if anybody knows anything about litigation, that's very low. <laughs> so, yeah, and again, uh, that, so that went to Mary McCauley. And again, this was not about her making money. She, she knew that uh, this was more about a pro bono case um, where it just needed to be fought. And what do you know what? We set some really good law. So since then, that was back in 2015, and it must have been quite the incredible feeling to actually win that on appeal. Since then, have things improved? Has this truly been precedent setting in practice? Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, this, this case uh, remained uh, divisive in our community for a few years subsequent. Uh, but I think both sides recognize that that something positive came out of this, that it's no longer a gray area uh, if they can take money or not. And, and I'm, I'm quick to add that, you know, chief and counsel do work hard uh, and, you know, they do deserve to be compensated properly, but going in camera and paying themselves, you know, this arbitrary amount to the exclusion of everybody else on a compensation fund that was supposed to be for the benefit of all was not the way to do it. Uh, today, uh, I do have uh, a good uh, relationship with the council. My father, Robert Louis Sr., who was Wayne Louis' brother, was on our side uh, during this case, is also on the bad council. I should add that Wayne Louis ran uh, two years ago for the bad council and was nominated to the council. However, as it turned out, uh, my father and Wayne Louis received the same number of votes, <laughs> and one of them had to uh, step down. Oh wow! Uh, Did they arm wrestle? How'd they do that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just picturing two brothers right now <laughs> who are yeah. trying to get this council. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it was kind of a bonus. I mean, I, I was the the campaign manager, so it wasn't uh, 
I mean, the, the identical number of votes isn't a coincidence because, you know, I, I made sure that, that the, those members that said they were going to vote for them voted for them. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, well, you know, rest in peace, Wayne Louie. But I, I remember him saying, uh, I, I, I'm not a backbencher. I want to be the chief again. So he said, Robert, you can have the councillor position. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> have, have fun, man. All right. Yeah. So after that, then was was this was this big fight that you had uh, successfully conducted? Was this the inspiration for BMAC? I mean, you and I have been talking over the last few years. You've put so much work into this. This is not something that somebody takes on lightly. Were you inspired by what happened at your local community level here? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, you, you said it perfectly. Uh, this was. Um, a big inspiration for for the little Kootenai band, and then it started to trickle out to to my nation. And what I found is that I was receiving calls from right across Canada uh, about the Louis versus Louis, not only from the legal community, from you know those lawyers that practice Aboriginal law, but uh, primarily from band members, uh, some chiefs, some councillors. And I thought, hey, whoa! I mean, what happened here? In Louis versus Louis, in the small town of Creston, is happening elsewhere, and this was a real wake-up call for bands across Canada. That for two reasons: one, that well, there's a band member that actually stood up and put a stop to the the mistakes being made at the council level with respect to money, and two, that it could be done elsewhere. So, uh, you know, there's other bands, band members that have said, you know, we have the same situation. How do we do this? What did you do? And it went from informal conversations to, to formalizing uh, the next steps. And here's where my, my recovery comes into it. Um, you know, it's during Lou versus Louis, I, I was still drinking. And uh, it's kind of funny, I can laugh at it now, but you know, I, I was uh, having a few drinks when I was doing some legal research on it. And what do you know, we still won. And I thought, you know, if I can have that, <laughs> that kind of energy and uh, um, for lack of better words, like talent to do that, mm -hmm. I could, you know, do it the other way. And the, so I, I had a spiritual awakening um, just over two years ago where recovery was the answer. And I, I had some help, and I'm still getting a bit of help from the Lawyers Assistance Program um, to, to give back to, to the people. And, uh, you know, some may say that's cliche. Well, I'm saying, well, it's in practice because BMAC is my way of giving back. And I've been giving back through a, a federally registered nonprofit organization called the Band Members Alliance and Advocacy Association of Canada. So now uh, I've really all I've done is connect some dots. I've used a, the, the vehicle as BMAC. The legal community is the, um, it's like the force behind BMAC. And I'm the one that's kind of orchestrating and organizing the, uh, things for, for band members. Because right now I find that there's uh, band members that want to do the same thing they did in Louis versus Louis, but they don't, they don't know how to get there. And it's through BMAC that they're finding that answer. I must say, man, uh, I'm no stranger to substance addiction. Uh, some of my closest and most beloved family members have struggled with this. And it is one thing to get yourself on track, 
and to discipline yourself. And I deeply admire my family members who have done that. It's a whole nother world to reach out to others in order to help get themselves on track and to help them in this way, to bring accountability and justice and transparency to their local communities. That's big league stuff, man. I, I got to yes. say, so good on you. So thanks, Chris. Say, I mean it. So say, say I'm uh, someone who's first nations and I'm struggling with my local government and I want to see them uh, post their financials online, or I want to know why they've spent X amount of dollars on Z, something like that. And I'm getting nowhere. If I phone you and if I try to get you on side to help me walk us through that process, what does BMAC do for folks in that situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's an excellent question. And I do get that from time to time. So here's a typical situation. Uh, we have a website, it's bmac.org. That's bmac.org. And there's a spot on our website where you can actually type in like, what's the problem? Oh, and it gets perfect. to me, it gets to me generally, like, like directly. And from there, I, I, I see every message that comes in. Uh, on, I would say since uh, September of last year, 2020, uh, it's probably well over 500 messages that's come into BMAC. Whoa. Uh, every week, uh, there is a BMAC issue. I'm reaching out, getting back to people, people are contacting me. Um, and, I, and I do this voluntarily. And, and, and I need to underscore that because for me, my, my income is gonna come by practicing law again, which I am proud to say uh, at the end of this month on the 28th, uh, we'll be in Vancouver to hand deliver my application to the Law Society. I have, awesome. uh, I have uh, one of uh, Vancouver's top criminal defense lawyer, uh, Tony Legement, who has uh, hired me on, He's signing my papers to the Law Society, and uh, I'll be off to the races in very, a very short time here. So I'm very, very happy to be back. I mean, recovery's given me everything. And uh, this BMAC is just one thing among many. So uh, what I do is uh, I, I look at the, the situation and it either falls under BMAC's mandate or it doesn't. And BMAC's mandate is, it, it's, I've kept it general in that it's there to help band members get access to justice to hold their chief and council accountable. Now, what kind of accountability? Uh, typically it is around bad finances where either a chief and council are pulling a Louis versus Louis, uh, or uh, they are denying band members uh, a benefit that they are otherwise entitled to. Uh, we have expanded to include election issues. So the BMAC was in the federal court recently in a case known as Bertrand. We were interveners and we said that the federal government did not have the power to give band councils the ability to postpone their time in office past their fixed election date. And secondly, that if the band council wanted to extend their time in office, they had to consult with the members at the very least. The court didn't deal with that second part because they found the first part to be unlawful. So they agreed with us that the feds did not have that power in the first place. The federal government, wouldn't you know it, has a, a issued an appeal. So uh, we're heading to the Court of Appeal on this. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, if it looks like we can help a band member, 
then what I'll do is I will, uh, I always reply to everybody, but I'll say, I'll ask if uh, what their available schedule is and mm -hmm. I'll ask if they'd like to have a phone call or a Zoom and we'll discuss the matter further. From there, if it looks like uh, there is uh, on the face of it, a, a problem uh, where uh, BMAC, BMAC's assistance or representation would be helpful to resolve the issue, then I'll contact one of the law firms uh, that, that's been working with BMAC. Um, so that's the way it goes. And, here, and here's one quick um, example. Sometimes I, I, I'll get calls from a band member saying, the chief and the band manager are having an affair, Rob. You know, and there's, yeah, and all these, you know, they're driving around in the new truck. Well, that's I get the new truck point. calls a lot too here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that starting point is, you know, we're not relationship advisors. Uh, but if it looks like, you know, the chief, uh, you know, dipped into the Jordan's principal money and has purchased himself a truck, then that's uh, on the face of it, something that, that gets our attention. And then we have further discussions. Now, First Nations folks across Canada, it's a diverse group of people. Uh, they come from all walks of life, different income levels, education levels. They can be on reserve, off reserve, rural, urban, like you name it. Do any of those factors play into whether or not you can help them? Can, can you only help folks who are currently on reserve or how does that work? Mm -hmm. Another good question. So uh, we're sensitive to the diversity of First Nation issues, and, and we do not tread at all into cultural backgrounds, um, hereditary chief versus Indian Act chief. Mm. We find our common ground around accountability or when there's a lack of it. And so if a person lives on reserve, off reserve, you know, BC or Nova Scotia, if the, the issues tend to be the same, it's that chief and council uh, tend to think they are, are above the law mm -hmm. and, and they're untouchable. And it's been like that for decades. And those that actually had the, the impetus to step up and challenge chief and council are usually met with resistance, um, if not outright being ignored. And those special and talented band members that have the wherewithal to push it a little further will find that chief and council will lawyer up using bad money to push back and, and silence those band members. And with BMAC, uh, now those days are gone. That the band members have somebody to call and that's BMAC. Wow. And, and now we push back. That's a big deal. Uh, as, as you know, uh, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we've been working on some of these cases now for a long time, but to your point on how many messages you've gotten just since September, trying to manage all of the calls that we get, uh, it can get pretty overwhelming. Uh, of course, you're familiar with the Charmaine Stick case. Uh, she's a yes, hardworking lady. Uh, she works, she lives in a First Nations band right on the border of Saskatchewan there. And all she was asking for was publicize, publicization of spending at her band council. She wanted it posted uh, in the same spirit of the First Nations Financial Transparency <clears throat> Act. And so we've been going in and out of the courts uh, on her behalf as well, helping her to fight. Um, are you, it sounds like you're fighting along those same lines of accountability is accountability. Transparency is transparency. Uh, when it comes down to it, the reason why we supported the First Nations Financial Transparency Act is because 
folks living on reserve deserve the same amount of transparency and accountability as any Canadian living in any small town or, or big city. Do you, do you kind of have that same feeling? Yeah, and I'll start off by, by answering it this way. Um, you mentioned uh, Wayne Louis. Uh, one of his famous quotes was, uh, you know, the, the chief uh, flew in using on the band's dime, dining out using the band funds, and I'm taking the bus, and I had to pack a lunch. There's something wrong with that picture. You know, I, I love that. That, that. that sums it up perfectly. It and, really does. Yeah, and so we do... Uh, have some common ground here and it, it, it I mean really how hard is it just to say hey guys you know I, I made 50,000 100,000 you know uh, I, I find that band members uh, invariably don't have a problem with you know somebody making money especially if they're working hard and, and you know they should be paid well I, I certainly don't have a problem with that the problem is is when you know there's all this secrecy Mm -hmm. Like it's like, you know, bands are being run like the mafia. And if anybody speaks out, you're going to get whacked. And, yes. you know, people get whacked in the sense that they, they lose their job. They're denied a benefit. And it, it gets pretty ugly fast. And so people are fearful. And, and here's the thing, Chris. Uh, with BMAC, uh, we, we rely a lot on, on the membership. So when somebody signs up to be a member, uh, that money that $40 membership fee goes to towards expenses. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the people I was wondering, like, why aren't they like signing up? And, and I got feedback from three different provinces from, from band members in those provinces saying, we're scared, Rob, because we want to become a member. But if chief and council find out, we're going to be in trouble. And so I had to go back to the drawing board. And I thought, oh, okay. So now when somebody becomes a member of BMAC, that's confidential. Uh, we thank them for being members, but I don't publicize that. Yes. And, you know, that that's really, that's the reality that we live in. It is. Uh, and like, you know, here, for example, you know, we need whistleblower legislation uh, to protect people. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, not everybody needs to know who's helping each other out when it comes to advocacy and transparency. Mm -hmm. But can you get into that a little bit for us? I think some folks who haven't <laughs> experienced this, who haven't lived either right next to folks who live on reserve, who haven't had experience with band council, when you talk about how things can get ugly fast, okay? So say you're living in a big metropolitan urban center and you have a beef with the mayor or a city councilor, your garbage is still going to get picked up. You're still going to have water going to your house. Uh, you know, you're not going to be denied city services. And if you were, there'd be a lot of hell to pay really fast. But we've gotten calls. I personally have gotten calls from folks who are living on First Nations reserves who say the same thing you just said of, I'm, I want to do this. I want to get that. We need accountability here. And then I say, fine, can you speak to me and go on record? And that's when things stop because they're scared. And so I started asking, well, what are you exactly worried about? What kind of repercussions? One older gentleman actually told me that he was being denied firewood for his wood stove like firewood distribution, warmth in the winter. Can you describe some of that for us? What sorts of repercussions do happen to some of these folks? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, obviously I'm going to keep names out of it because yeah, for, of, sure. for confidentiality issues. Uh, you know, it, here, again, just let me start with the analogy and I'll, and I'll answer the question uh, in a more fulsome way. In the Bertrand case, that was recently argued, uh, counsel said to the judge during closing submissions, imagine, if you will, 
that the federal health minister said to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau during these times of pandemic, do you want to stay in office for another half a year? Okay, don't worry about it. I'll give you some regulation. You can stay in. You don't have to tell the Canadian citizens. You don't have to tell the members of parliament. I'll give you that special power. Imagine the, the backlash, the outrage that would be taking place. They would have lawyers, NGOs, uh, all walks of life lining up to file in court to say, hang on, <laughs> not so fast. Uh, and that's what basically was happening in the Bertrand case uh, with bands right across Canada. We have, you know, the, the Indigenous Services Canada telling band councils, hey, want to stay in office during a pandemic? Don't worry about it. We'll give you some legislation. Don't worry about the band members. It's only their rights that are at stake. And of course, I'm being a bit facetious here. No. But you, you, I think your audience will get the point with that. So when it comes to retribution, let's just call it what it is, mm -hmm. uh, that takes place in the reserves across Canada, that you don't even have to live on reserve to face retribution. You just have to be a member. Because here's the thing, whether you live in the city, like urban or not, and you're a band member, you're still connected to the community. And if you're relying on, for example, tuition, and you're a student going to university, and you or one of your family members speaks out against the chief, your tuition is cut like that. If you live on reserve, and you speak out or you ask questions, especially around finances, well, don't be too surprised if you get a letter saying that you're, you're being evicted. And here's another example that I often hear. Again, asking the questions or just basically, you know, having a concern about the way things are going that your check, whether it's social assistance or your regular paycheck, well, guess what? It's, we for, it was forgot to be signed. Oh, uh, we can't find it. Uh, come back tomorrow. Tomorrow's a Saturday, so you have to come back on Monday. It's these kind of things, these repercussions that people face uh, as paybacks for challenging chief and council. And you're right, um, the firewood analogy, I've heard that too. You know, I think a lot of folks who don't have experience living either on reserve themselves or don't have friends and family who do, um, they'd be pretty surprised with the word eviction. So, for example, could just walk us through this. Talk to me like I'm six. Can sure. a chief in or a band council kick someone out of their home? And if so, how? BMAC was involved recently in a, with an elder from the uh, Stony tribe in uh, southern Alberta. Um, this is in the in the local or in the media. Uh, Google the name Rhonda Kakowitz. Kakowitz spelled K-A-Q-U-I-T-T-S. The Chinookie Chief and Council evicted her. They had tried to evict her in 2008, right after her husband passed away. Well, who was behind the eviction? It was ironically the housing manager that wanted her house. The housing manager is her brother-in-law. Now, 10 years go by, don't hear a peep. In November of 2018, the chief and council again at Chinookie issued another eviction letter towards her. And this time she contacted me. Now BMAC wasn't uh, in existence yet, but it was in the makings. And that's when I contacted Andrew Wilson, a lawyer in Calgary and said, Andrew, this is what we've got. Well, let's get into the federal court and let's have a judge decide if it's valid or not. Long story short, uh, 
in February of two months ago, the Chinooki Band got a court order to eject her from her house. And the reason why is because the Indian Act, that federal leg legislation, gives all the power to chief and council. It's not like living off reserve, where at least there's a, a residential tenancy branch that you can go to. There's nothing like that that, that exists in any reserve in Canada. There's no legislation like a provincial residential tenancy act. And now uh, Rhonda, the poor dear, is now living with her daughter and her, I think, eight others in a two-bedroom house. Wow. And that, and that house that Rhonda used to live in with her husband for 10, 15, 20 years is now the, the housing manager's second house. I think a lot of Canadians who aren't First Nations uh, have learned a lot just by what you just said. So that's a, a big time thing. Let's, let's leave on a happy note. Um, I, I know that there are so many different Indigenous uh, languages and First Nations languages from coast to coast to coast. Uh, it's one of the things I find most fascinating is the linguistics element of it. Uh, so I got to ask, are any other languages other than English spoken at the office? Do you somehow try to accommodate that uh, when you're answering the phones? Is there any way that you're oh. helping to, to incorporate that? Can't say. Okay. Ani, wait, Dalawande, Yotes, Hadi, OCM, Kiyukiet. That's hello in, let me backtrack, in uh, Cree, Blackfoot, Ojibwe, Shushwap, Haisla, Simshan, Carrier, and uh, Coast Salish, and the last one was my own language, Kootenai or Dunaka, Gisokyukiet means hello. That is awesome. And Kootenai, so, we, were yes. talking, we were talking about this a while ago. It's a, yours is a language isolate, correct? It is, it is, and sadly, it is on the verge of extinction in my community, in the Lower Kootenai Band. There are, I think I can count on one hand now, the number of fluent speakers left, and they're all over the age of 70. Well, let's hope we can turn that around uh, here in, in my local hometown. My children are learning Hulkamalum in their local public school, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, I went to the same school and I didn't learn anything. They're learning it, which just gives me goosebumps. It makes me so happy. Uh, Rob, I really enjoyed our conversation today and I hope that others did too. If we're speaking to somebody right now whose light bulb is going off saying, whoa, here's some hope, I want to reach out. How do they do that? Yes. Um, well, we would hope, and, and by the way, the BMAC is open. Its membership is open to the general public, to anyone that wants to get behind this. Um, yes, we hold chief and council accountable, but we are more to, towards getting to the solution. So uh, membership fees uh, are, are help provide for like, mediation. Uh, sometimes uh, a letter from one of our lawyers will resolve a situation like that. So uh, every little bit helps. And uh, if, if, you're, if the, your audience wants to get behind BMAC, it would be much appreciated. I think this is one way of reconciliation. We have all sides coming towards uh, something that, that they can get behind. And BMAC is, I think, that vehicle, the way to do it. 
Awesome. This is uh, one of the best conversations I've had in a long time, my friend. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hi, Scott.